My name is Deacon Nelson. I've known Father Pavel for a couple of years and Father Julio for many years. He's been a big mentor of mine. And I've had the privilege to come here a few times over the years. And I'm getting ordained in a couple of months, as Father Pavel mentioned. So I ask you for your prayers. And if anyone is able to make the pilgrimage to Boise, you're welcome to come and celebrate our ordinations. My, my classmate, Tim, and I will both be ordained that day on June 8th in the beginning of the summer. But I must admit, it wasn't always this way. I wasn't, wasn't always on the path to the priesthood. I wasn't always living a Christian life. I wasn't always developing a relationship with the Father. I wasn't always trusting in God to provide for me. I was in many ways just a Christmas and Easter Catholic, going about my life in a way, in a, much like a practical atheist, believing in God, thinking that God loved me, but not living my life as if God were the center of my life. Now, why am I telling you this? This isn't the time to talk about myself. This is the time to talk about the resurrection of the Lord. But that's because that's all of our stories. It's not just my story. It's the story of mankind. It's the story of men and women. It's the story of Adam and Eve, our first parents. The story is called the gospel. There's another word, a fancy Greek word called kerygma, which just means the proclamation of the gospel. Many of us don't know the kerygma. And some of us have heard it but have forgotten it. And we've gone back to living our lives as practical atheists. So I'm going to share that story with you now. I'm going to tell that story in four parts. The first part is a story of our creation. God, who is a loving father, created us for love. Created us to be in a loving relationship with him. That already differentiates us from every other religion, every other worldview, every other belief system in the world. The fact that we're not here by accident. We're not just molecules bumping into each other. God the Father, who is love, created us for love, to be in a relationship with Him. Those of you who are parents, you know a little bit about that. You know that you've co-created, you've generated your children in order for them to share in a relationship with you. And they are a fruit of your love as father and mother, husband and wife to each other. And of course, we have a beautiful new baby here who will baptize in just a few minutes. Yet another testimony, another example of this. Every baby is proof that God wants life to continue because he loves us. Now, of course, that's not the end of the story. And that leads us to the second part. The part that there was an evil angel, an evil spirit, who did not want to live in that relationship with God, who did not want to love God and serve God, and who rebelled and fell from communion with him. He then convinced a bunch of other spirits to join him in his plan of destruction. Because not only did he not want to live in a relationship with God, but he didn't want anyone else to do so either. So the devil and his minions went about on a hunt. They went hunting. They went hunting for us, first for Adam and Eve, and they succeeded. They captured Adam and Eve. So that's the second part of the story. The fact that we've been captured. And ever since then, we were living in bondage. Slaves to sin. 
Slaves to self-reliance. Slaves to fear. But God did not want it to be this way. Remember who God is? God is love. Remember why he created us? He created us to be in relationship with him. So the fact that we weren't living in relationship with him was very much against God's plan. So he started a new plan. He initiated a new plan. A plan of salvation. A plan of restoration. A plan to rescue us from bondage, from capture. So he went after Adam and Eve and his descendants. And he initiated this long plan through Abraham and Moses and all of the stories that are told and recorded in the Old Testament, all in preparation for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of Jesus. When Jesus would come, Jesus, who is God himself, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who would come to earth to actualize, to finalize this plan of salvation. And he did so. And that was our rescue. I'm going to give you a couple of images to help this sink in. Many of us have seen a picture of D-Day. The soldiers on June the 6th, 1944, landing on a beach in Normandy, France. They were going there because many people of that continent had been captured. Had been captured by an evil ruler who had gone about to enslave an entire continent. Now, if we just look at that picture, just that picture, we don't know any context, we just look at these soldiers coming onto a beach. What do we think about them? Do we think that they're coming to enjoy a nice afternoon at the beach? They're coming to enjoy a vacation? Of course not. We know that they're coming to fight. We know those are soldiers, those are men who are coming to rescue those that have been set, captured. And they're coming to set them free. Now picture a nativity scene. We've all seen a nativity scene. We had them in our homes just a few months ago at Christmas time. We know there's a baby lying in a manger. What do we think about that baby? Do we see him as someone who is coming to fight? Yet that's precisely what's happening. That's precisely why that baby is coming into the world. Why that baby is land, landing on that beach, so to speak. That baby is coming to fight. That baby is coming to rescue his children, his creation, his beloved, us, who had been set captured, who had been made into slaves to sin, to death, to fear. The world had been conquered by an evil ruler who wished to enslave its people, and Jesus came to set them free. Let me read you a couple of passages from scriptures. This first one is from the first letter of St. John. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Or from the book of wisdom. For while gentle silence enveloped all things, and night in its swift course was now half gone, thy all-powerful word, Jesus is the word of God, thy all-powerful word, leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of the land that was doomed, a stern warrior. Here is the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, revealing God to be a stern warrior. 
C.S. Lewis wrote, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. He landed in disguise as a baby in the manger. And he carried out his mission of preaching, of healing, of doing miracles. All of those things were important. But that was not why he came. He came to die on the cross and to resurrect from the dead. In doing so, rescuing his creation, rescuing his children, then ascending back to the Father, laying out the path for us to follow. I want to issue us a challenge. We all know that many people have left, are leaving, and will leave the faith. We'll leave Christianity, we'll leave the Catholic Church. Especially young people, and especially men, especially young men, are leaving the faith in droves. Why is that? Of course, there are many answers to that, but here's one answer to it. Here's one layer. We need to present, first of all, we need to see and then present the fullness of Jesus. We can be inclined to only present the fact that Jesus is loving and merciful and kind, and he is all of those things, and thanks be to God for that. But do we also see Jesus as a stern warrior, as a man coming to fight, to rescue his creation? Jesus represents the summit of masculinity. And young men need role models in the church. If they don't find it in the church, they're going to go looking for them elsewhere. And they're going to find them in the culture because there are successful athletes and rock stars and movie stars who have been successful in their fields because they have been fighting. And some of those men are virtuous and God-fearing and God-loving, and they will lead those young men to God. But others aren't, and they will lead them astray. Here's one last image from a book, from a movie called Taken. You may have seen this movie. Liam Neeson stars in the movie. And it's rated PG-13. It should probably be rated R. There's strong violence and other things in it, so I don't necessarily recommend it. But it's the story of a retired CIA officer whose teenage daughter was kidnapped. So after living a long career, difficult career as a a CIA officer, he retired in order to spend more time with his teenage daughter, daughter. And then what happened? She was kidnapped. She was taken. She was captured. And in the beginning of the movie, this takes place, and he gets on the phone with them. The father gets on the phone with the kidnappers as it's happening. And he says to them, and he delivers this very powerful line. If you've seen this movie, you know how well Liam Neeson delivered it. Don't expect that here. I'm not going to be able to do it here. But here's what he says. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. If you came to the Easter Vigil last night, you heard in the Exalted, God to set his son free gave to say, to to set this a slave free representing us humanity gave his only son as ransom and here the same thing is happening here if you're looking for ransom i can tell you i don't have money 
But what I do have, I have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very, over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Hear this not only as this father in this fictional movie, this fable, we can say this allegory. Yes, that's happening there. But most importantly, hear this as an allegory for God the Father saying this to the devil, talking about us, re represented by his daughter. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you, I will find you, and I will end you. There's this long pregnant pause in the movie, and then we hear from the other side of the line, the kidnappers say, good luck, and hangs up the phone. So now we're at the edge of our seats, and we follow the father going to France, going into enemy territory, risking his life to end his daughter's kidnappers and to rescue his daughter. And I'm going to spoil the movie, but I don't feel bad about it. It's been out for 15, 15 years. You've had your chance. At the final scene, she's there in a ship, in a boat, in the belly of the whale with a very evil man. And he comes and rescues her. And she looks at him in the eyes with tears in his eyes, her eyes and says, Daddy, you came for me. And he responds, I told you I would. That is the story of Easter, the story of God the Father laying his life down on the cross to rescue us and liberating us from fear, from sin, from death, for us to look at him and say, you came for me. And he can say to us, I told you I would. Now, that's the third part of the story, and that's not the end of the story, because the fourth part is our response. We have to respond. God does not force this upon us. If he forced it upon us, it would not be love. It would not be freedom. It would not be a relationship. We would still be in bondage. But he gives us the choice. He offers us an invitation to live as his sons and daughters, not just on Christmas and Easter, And not just every Sunday for an hour, Sunday mornings, but every moment of every day of our lives. That's the option before us. That's the choice being presented to us. Do we choose to welcome the Father into our hearts? Or do we choose to live according to our own plans and designs? Now, we have here one example of a wonderful family who has said yes to that invitation. And I know them well. They may say, well, we don't do it perfectly. None of us do it perfectly. It's not about doing it perfectly. It's about saying yes to God, God who is perfect. God comes and fills us with his love and mercy. And he is the one that perfects us. And so as one more fruit of their union, they have one new baby. And pretty soon we're going to witness his baptism. The moment where the parents, on behalf of the baby, say yes. Yes, we accept this loving invitation of the Father. We want our son not only to be our children, but to be a son of the, of the Father. And so as a little encouragement for the parents and for the godparents, you, you've taught me a lot of what I know about the faith, and so I'm preaching to the choir here. 
But I'll just give you three little encouragements, three little exhortations. The first one, as you know, you yourselves must be disciples of the Lord Jesus. You have to give your lives to him each and every day and renew your commitment to him every day. You can't give to your son what you yourselves don't have. Spend time with Jesus in prayer and go to Mass and confession often. Number two, love your child as much as possible. And then after that, love him some more. Provide a safe and loving home for him. Look at him in the eyes. Play with him, laugh with him, cry with him. Affirm his goodness each and every day. Not only is this the right thing to do, but you also be earning your, his trust. And lastly, be intentional about teaching him the faith. As you know, it's not the church's responsibility, first of all, to teach our children the faith. It doesn't work that way. It's the parents' responsibility to teach the faith. The parents are the primary educators. By their lives, first of all, and then by their words. If that's in place, the church can supplement it. And then it works. That's how we've had generations upon generations of saints. Help him to memorize the commandments and the Beatitudes. Teach him to pray and to serve the poor. Introduce him to Christ. Your job is not to be God to them. Your job is to introduce him to God. So finally, I'll just close with this quote by this paragraph by St. Leo the Great. And he was a pope in the early centuries of the church. And he laid this paragraph down for us that serves as a summary, both to Easter, the Christian story, the fact that we're here celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ, who has come to rescue us, who has given us his invitation to love him every day, and also as, a, as an exhortation for baptism. Christian, remember your dignity. And now that you share in God's own nature, do not return by sin to your former base condition. Bear in mind who is your head and of whose body you are a member. Do not forget that you have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the light of God's kingdom. Through the sacrament of baptism, you have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do not drive away so great a guest by evil conduct and become again a slave to the devil. For your liberty was bought by the blood of Christ. So as we turn to the Eucharist, we see that not only did God come in disguise as a baby 2,000 years ago, but he will come in disguise again in the appearance of bread and wine, offering us again the invitation to accept him into our hearts, not just metaphorically, but literally, physically, to receive his body and blood into our bodies.